Thanks for joining us and supporting Vikido Fitness. We ask for your continued support by becoming an It's All About Health and Fitness premium member. Go to www.vikidofitness.com forward slash join. Again, that's www.vikidofitness.com forward slash join and register for a $6 monthly subscription. And remember, keep listening, sharing, and checking us out. The views and opinions expressed are for general informational purposes only. Consult with your physician or medical health care provider for medical advice, diagnosis, and or treatment. Today, we talk about what's new, hot topics number 54. We discuss research articles and hot topics. Time spent on the green playing golf may lower the risk of early death among older adults. Half of the U.S. face obesity. By 2030, nearly one in two adults will be obese, and nearly one in four will be severely obese. Is it time to say goodbye to the old-school antihistamine Benadryl? All this and more on It's All About Health and fitness. Welcome to It's All About Health and Fitness with Dr. Vicki Hayward Doe and Dr. Virginia Banks Bright. This program is brought to you by Vicki Doe Fitness, a multimedia health and wellness forum. Now, here's your host, Vicki Doe and D. Banks Bright. I'm Dr. Vicki Haywood Doe, and with me is the one and only Dr. Virginia D. Banks Bright. Hello, Vicki. How are you? <laughs> I am fine. And why are you digging in your oh, purse? No, I'm bloody but unbowed today. <laughs> bloody but unbowed. That's all I can say. Really? So just you trying to make it? Look, you just blew on in here just blew in with here. your fiery red, my sister. I, I got the. Okay, yes. Memo yes. Red, oh, yeah, you do have your yes. red on. For heart health. Okay, yeah. well, go ahead, sister. Hey, I just hey. got my black on, black you on. You didn't get the memo. <laughs> <laughs> I forgot to send it to you. <laughs> but it's all good. To send it to you. It's all, it's good. all good. We are excited when we have students that come in and want to see Mm -hmm. all the things that we do. So we have Alexis here from Youngstown State University, exercise science in the house. Thank you for having me. You're welcome. Oh, my goodness. We We are excited. Yes, we love young folks. Yeah, we like to hang around young people. Yeah, because y'all keep us in the know, you know. (laughs) So when we ask, well, what is TikTok? Y'all just go (laughs) ahead and tell us. Yeah. I thought it was some kind. Kind of clock thing no, going I'm still, on. I'm still behind the scenes. <laughs> but yeah, we are excited to have Alexis here and she's gonna be shadowing us and and going out to some of my colleagues that are doing a little good in the neighborhood. So it's all good. Good. And we are excited to have her here today. Now, today we talk about hot topics and research articles that we think are worth looking at and talking about. And our topic today is what's new. Hot topics number 54. Now, we always talk about February being heart month that you see I didn't get the memo to wear the red. But we always talk about February as being the heart month and spreading health awareness out there 
to everyone so that we can do the necessary things to prevent heart attacks and strokes. But February is also Eating Disorders Awareness Month. Now, according to the American Psychiatric Association, eating disorders are about more than food. They're complex mental health conditions that often require the intervention of medical and psychological experts to change these behaviors. Now, these disorders are described in the American Psychiatric Association's Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Mental Disorders, the fifth edition, and it's DSM-5. In the United States alone, an estimated 20 million women and 10 million men have or have had an eating disorder at some point in their life. The most common eating disorder is binge eating disorder, but there are others such as bulimia, anorexia, pica. Pica is when you, um, some folks eat starch. Yeah, and wood and just stuff. Mm -hmm. I saw a program where someone was eating the, the mattress, the inside of that. I've heard of that. Isn't that something? And they cause, what happens is that it causes bezoars in the gut. Mm. causes major obstructions. In fact, I was reading a case about that the other day. They're called bezoars, and the gut gets obstructed. They go in and they operate, and they find these weird things. You know, like, it used to be one of the things was like, I don't know if you remember when mattresses were made out of this, like, fuzzy-looking yes, stuff. Yes, yes. like, cottage cheese mm -hmm. kind of looking stuff. That used to be another pica thing. Sand, dirt is dirt, another one. Dirt, starch. Yeah. Yes. And then some, sometimes, though, from a nutrition standpoint, when folks do that for the dirt and stuff, you know, they, they're lacking um, serious minerals. Pregnant women used to do that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So that's an uh, eating disorder. Also, we uh -huh. have um, rumination what is disorder. Well, they just, they just chew it and keep it in their mouth. No, it's worse than that. Oh, so they, they chew it, then they swallow it, then they regurgitate it, oh my God. then chew it and oh swallow it again. Oh, my God. Yeah, and regurgitate, yeah. Really? That's called rumination disorder. Oh, okay. Yeah. So that's, that's deep. Those, that is deep, right? That's deep. To seriously do that? That's oh, my God. Deep. That is deep. Mm -hmm. And so those with eating disorders can have a variety of symptoms. However, most include the severe restriction of food, food binges, or purging behaviors like vomiting or over-exercising. And so we want to encourage you guys because we know that it is hard to come clean and go to someone when you have eating disorders. But we're saying, look, please seek help from a healthcare practitioner or provider that specializes in eating disorders. Also, to go and find out more information, www.healthline.com forward slash nutrition. So what do you have to say else on that, D? You know, another one is laxative abuse. Okay. And a lot of these issues stem from deep-seated, um, it's more than just getting them to, you know, stop whatever eating disorder. It's body image and yes. body shaming. Yes. And, you know, it starts out with these young girls who, mm -hmm. you know, are shamed into, you know, everybody wants to be thin and beautiful. And I think the problem is going to get worse because as I'm going to be talking about the obesity epidemic in this country mm -hmm. and obesity starting in kids and kids bullying kids and this, that, and the other. And then these girls going 
to do these things to their bodies. I don't know if you saw on Facebook, I put last week, mm -hmm. how nice it was to see some dancers with butts and thighs <laughs> instead of these anorexic, emaciated, mm -hmm. like the young ladies that we saw in the Russian ballet mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. that came over. Some of those women were like pencil Oh, they were. I remember and seeing And I it. remember when I would go to New York to Nanette Lepore's fashion show, mm -hmm. these girls from the Ukraine and, uh, you know, the former Eastern Bloc country, I mean, they were just pencil thin and they mm. would just the stuff that they would eat would be and that's just not healthy so what happened was the fashion industry has now almost not outlawed it but made it very difficult for fashion designers now to to, to hire these girls there has to be a you know a height weight balance you know okay. what i mean yes yes you can't be six feet and weigh 90 pounds yes and good for them because a lot of these girls were dying oh big time so yeah okay we, we are admonishing um, each and every one. If you do think that you have an uh, eating disorder, make sure you go to your health care. Yes, yeah. get provider. Help. Reach out and get help. That's another thing. They, they hide from their parents. Mm -hmm. You know, so it's, it's, a, it's a problem. It is. Make sure you do that. Go and get help. Now, make sure you go to our website, www.vickidofitness.com and subscribe to our newsletter so that you'll be able to keep connected to all of the great things that we are doing right here in the neighborhood. In the neighborhood at Vickido Fitness. We also are getting closer. You know, I've been talking about it and talking about it. Y'all so sick of me talking about <laughs> it. But we're getting closer to the official launching date of our Signature online program, our Vikido Fitness Health Fitness Training Program. Our Signature program will be Step-by-Step -step Weight Loss Boot Camp Master Class. Now, this is not your typical weight loss program because we are embracing the holistic approach to weight management and living a life of health and wellness. And so this is an awesome, it's a comprehensive weight loss program that you can do online. And we will be there because we understand that people still like that touchy-feely. We like to see folks and, and meet with folks. So you'll still be seeing me in the mix there. But we can't wait for you to join us and be a part of this healthy living journey. So go find out more information about our weight loss program. Go to www.vickidofitness.com forward slash training. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for your support. Thank you. Thank you for your support. Well, D, you know, it's a beautiful day outside. It is. A little nippy, but you know what? We only have one more week in February. If we can get can through this believe that? March. Now, I know March has had some blizzards in my I know. time up I know. here in Northeast Ohio. I know. We're getting closer. I know. Closer. I don't know if that's a good thing because... I, I certainly don't want any big storms in March. I know, but... And then also... Like the old folks used to say, you know, hey, you got to have some cold to get rid you of them do. germs. You do. And so yeah. we, ain't, we ain't really had too much cold. And there, somebody said today there were some buds that they saw on some trees. Mm. You know, nature's all confused. I know. I'm confused, too. I'm totally confused. <laughs> Yesterday it was 48. Today it's 30. 
I know. Then it's supposed to get back down to the teens. Uh-huh. But the and groundhog, he, yeah, the groundhog saw his shadow. Said early said early. No, so, he didn't see his shadow. Yeah, he didn't see his shadow. So that's so early. So that means it's going to be early spring. Early spring. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's mm-hmm. what they say. So daylight savings time is coming up pretty mm-hmm. soon. Yeah, March the something or other, March the fourth or fifth or something. Yeah, so we're we're rolling yeah. into spring. Somebody put put in some legislation I just heard to do away with daylight savings time. Did you see that? This might be the last daylight savings. Oh, really? Time. Yeah, but but doesn't as everything happens, weren't weren't they saving money or supposedly it was for the farmers, I thought. Oh well that's why they changed Who's it because <laughs> <laughs> Alexis, we always say on this show, who's, who's benefiting? benefiting? <laughs> Not happens, us. Who's benefiting? <laughs> Not us. Right. That's it. Right. We got a chance to thank you, D. We got a chance to experience the dance theater. It was fabulous. Of Harlem, mm-hmm. their concert. Mm-hmm. And yes, these were folks that were, they, they were in shape now. They yeah. had those muscles and mm-hmm. stuff going on, mm-hmm. but they were not skinny mini. Uh-uh. They were they were in shape. It was uh-uh. great. Tone, it was great. Muscular. Tone. Yeah. Yes. Healthy. 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 Yes. Yeah. I enjoyed all of their dances. I, I enjoyed how they put put the James Brown tribute uh-huh. and they the were end. doing it. Yeah, yes. Some funk. some funk up in there. They put some funk up in there. So they went from the classical yes. to the funk. To the funk. It was great. And they still did it on their toes. They did. They did. Mm-hmm. So, did. yeah, it was it was nice. And then Valentine's Day rolled around. What would you guys do? We, we just chilled because, you know, Nate, Nate in the trenches. Yeah, yeah. Right. He in the trenches like you. Yeah. Shoot. Yeah, I was off this weekend. Was he off this weekend? Um, Just briefly. Uh-huh. He was still on call, though. Yeah, I was completely off. Yes, yes. Yeah. And so, yeah. But we, um, we still... You know, did a little cooking. Good. Did mean, you make spinach soup? Mean. You you did. Mean. mean. <laughs> but it was great. Yeah, we Good. made. I didn't make spinach soup this time. But, yeah, we ate and then had our little wine and just oh, just talked about how wonderful life was. And then we would sleep on the couch. I understand. <laughs> I completely I overstand. You are. I have to set, you know, if I'm going to watch a television show, and I have to set the alarm clock to wake me up. 830. <laughs> Because I'll fall asleep. And that's something. I'll fall asleep. I'll wake up at 1 o'clock in the morning. Yeah. Yeah. But, but it, all in all, you it have was to great. look forward to, Izzy. <laughs> yes. 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 <laughs> but, yeah, it still was great. Yeah. Because, you know, I like getting my roses and, mm-hmm. and all of that. Mm-hmm. And so I always tell people that now that the girls are older now, they're out and about. But I always laugh because I still get my roses. But yeah. Nate would always get me. He always gets me. 12 roses and then he would get Natalie whatever day it was Natalie and Andrea so if it's Valentine's Day or sweetest day he would also get them six roses a piece so I said so they'll know what a man is supposed to do for them yes So I said, ooh, you making right. it hard. I guess we have Mate. to be politically correct what a man or a woman supposed to do for Nate. Oh, yeah, because you can still get stuff up. Right. Because I, I got a um, a nice gift for Nate, too, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, for Valentine's. Yeah. So yes. Man or woman. So we can do that. Yes. Mm-hmm. It's a new day, right? It is a new day. <laughs> That's it. So how was your week, D? Um, Week was hard, okay. as usual. Aww. But weekend, I was completely off, so... Mm-hmm. 
We started out Friday with dinner at this really nice restaurant in Canton, one of the oldest restaurants mm-hmm. in Canton. Okay. We had a great meal and then went to this club this uh, called the Bertram Inn. It was another one of these old golf clubs. It had these really nice stately rooms and stuff like that. So that was fun. And then on Saturday, okay, we went to, which I kept thinking about you, we went to a dance concert in Cleveland okay. of this dance troupe called... Hervé Kubi. Okay. They were from Cannes, France. Uh-huh. All male. Okay. And they did modern dance. Yes. Okay. With a twist of lots of acrobatics. Really? I mean, I, they did things that they were twisting on their heads. Oh, wow. Standing on their hands. And so the it was uh, international. They were from mm-hmm. France, mm-hmm. Uh, Algeria, okay. Italy. But the twist was it was a, had a, an Islamic twist. Okay. Because the guy who was the choreographer and who developed the dance troupe, he was from France, but his family was from Algeria. Okay. So you could just tell that it was more of an Islamic twist with the music and stuff like that. But just, just fantastic choreography, unbelievable choreography, unbelievable acrobatics. Okay. Strong men. And yes. One of my... A girlfriend of mine who happens to be the um, executive director for Dance Center, that's the name of the group in Cleveland that brings out Alvin Ailey, brings all okay, these people. Yes. In. So Pam came on stage and she and the other lady, they were like fan and they were like, whew, because it was all men. Uh huh. You know, they were like, oh my God, you got to go back there and see all these guys. And they kind of <laughs> came out, you know, it was like, whoa. <laughs> so we did that. And then on Sunday, we went back to Cleveland, and this time we, we went to see a group that I had seen at Christmas time. They're called Apollo's Fire. Okay. They are Baroque orchestra mm-hmm. that uses the instruments of the Renaissance okay. for their music. Okay. And they had musicians to sing. You know, the, the title of the show was okay. La More. So it was an Italian Renaissance Baroque show. And then I got roses and got a little um, little locket with a diamond in my oh, go um, ahead. diamond in my birthstone oh. on it with my name and somebody else's name. And uh, you yeah. know, I'm just saying, Step you know, you know, you know, you know. You know. <laughs> Kicked it up a little bit of a notch. There it is. You know. Well, so that's nice. It was all good. Yeah, February is the love month. It is. Um, brothers, I have two brothers and... Andrew and T, their birthdays in February. February. Oh, my god! Yes, and then just passed. And then Nate's sister's uh, sister, her birthday's in February. And then, guess what? Our anniversary is in February. That's right. You did tell me that. And there's actually a 29 this time. There is. Is Was your anniversary the the actual 29th? Yes. Okay. We decided to do it that way. Yeah. So it's next Friday, next Saturday. Yes. Cool. Yes. So what right. is going on this week? Vicky Everything. This is Black History Month. Mm-hmm. And this week, we're bringing to our attention, we're talking about golf, because you know, Brother Bill, my, my dad, he just loves golf. Yes. And we're bringing about golf this time. The Wake Robin Golf Club is the oldest African-American women's golf club in the United States. A little history is that the Wake Robin Golf Club is a minority women's golf club founded in April 22, 1937 by Helen Webb Harris. It is the oldest registered Afro-American women's golf club in the United States. And 
it is a nonprofit corporation that introduces women to the game of golf and provides them with the abilities, skills to participate in amateur competitive golf events. If you look at the history, it says the first meeting was held at the home of um, Helen Webb Harris in D.C., 79 R Street, Northwest, Washington, D.C. There were 13 women in attendance. Mrs. Harris, an educator, was the wife of a prominent Washington physician. The founding members, several of whom were wives of Washington's all-black, all-male Royal Golf Club, were tired of staying home. These women were tired of staying home on weekends while their husbands played golf. So named after the, the purplish wake robin wildflower, which are plenty in the uh, mid-Atlantic region, the club blossomed almost from the start, though not without a few problems. In 1938, R, it's WRGC pushed the process of desegregating the public courses of the District of Columbia by drafting and sending a petition to the Secretary of the Interior, Harold Ickes. Ickes. Mm-hmm. Ooh, who was Harold Ickes? He was an old one of the first secret, yeah, Secretary of the Interior, Harold Ickes. And in fact, there's some th- there's some things around Washington that are named for him. Really? Mm-hmm. Okay, so Ickes, Harold mm-hmm. Ickes. Mm-hmm. To mollify the petitioners, the Secretary approved the construction of a nine-hole course on the site of an abandoned trash dump. Now, in 1939, Langston Golf Course was built near, what is this? Spingarn. Like the Spingarn Metal. Okay, so the Spingarn High School, northeast Washington, D.C., it wasn't pretty, especially when players tried to retrieve balls from under the old tires or rusty tin cans. But finally, black golfers had a place to call their own. So all of this continued and we're here today, and the mission is to foster the participant of women's interest in golf and to encourage women in Washington, D.C. and vicinity to become golfers. And so, yeah, they are happy to talk about what they do. If you go on the website, you can see one of the founder, well, one of the presidents of the, because um, it was Are a few of them talking. Are they still in existence yes. today? Wow. Vicki Smith. She was That's talking great. about all the good things that they do mm-hmm. and how they're growing. They oh, do a lot good. of things with the, the young kids uh-huh. and so forth, the young women, teaching them golf and all of that. So I love that. Good for them. That's great. Isn't that great? That's great. They have a golf course here in Ohio. It's near Canton, Ohio, that was founded by African-American golfer. Oh, wow. And it's still going. His daughter is the um, overseer of that it. name. I saw yes. that. I saw that somewhere. Mm-hmm. Yes. I got to ask Brother Bill, but yes. he, he knows all about that. Yes, that's right. Yeah, mm-hmm. so people are out there playing golf yeah. even before Tiger Woods. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Mm-hmm. I got to get my golf back on. That's what you would say. I'm a lefty. Do you golf? I've golfed before. You know, I haven't been in a long time, but, like, I'm really interested in going again for sure. Yeah, Mm -hmm. yeah, because they have nice golf courses and stuff now, Mm -hmm. especially around here Mm -hmm. in Northeast Ohio area. Beautiful golf courses. Oh, yeah. Yeah, so I thought that was interesting. 
the Dance Theater of Harlem through mm-hmm. performances, community engagement, and arts education. The company carries forward Dance Theater of Harlem's message of empowerment through the arts for all. So in 1969, the height of the civil rights movement, Arthur Mitchell and Carol Shook founded Dance Theater of Harlem, and their vision remains one of the most democratic in dance. In moments of extreme injustice and frustration, the most impactful art is born. This is true of the inception of one of the most influential American ballet companies of the last decade, Dance Theater of Harlem. So Arthur Mitchell created the company in New York City. After making history in 1959, he was the first black principal dancer of the New York City Ballet he was also a famed protege of George Balanchine, who was one of the great Russian-born dancers, choreographers, and also co-founder of the School of the American Ballet. Mitchell's impulse to start Dance Theater of Harlem is said to have spurred by the assassination of Martin Luther King, April 4, 1968, and working in Brazil on a commission from the American government to assist in the founding of the National Ballet of Brazil, Mitchell decided to return to the United States to try to make a difference in his community by teaching ballet classes in his native Harlem. At the height of the civil rights movement, in a graceful moment of artistic resistance, he created a haven for dancers of all colors who craved training, performance experience, and an opportunity to excel in the classical ballet world. Yeah, his story is very interesting. And, you know, oftentimes, of course, people get people confused. He's not Alvin Ailey. Right, right. He is Arthur Mitchell. Mm-hmm. Um, and the, we have a, fortunately, have a, when the troop came here last week, mm-hmm. our mayor and President Tressel from Youngstown State University came out on stage. Unfortunately, they did not introduce her, but they introduced, I can't think of her first name, Johnson. Virginia, Virginia, Virginia Johnson. Virginia Johnson, who mm-hmm. is the artistic director of the Dance Theater of Harlem and was a dancer herself. Mm-hmm. And we have a Youngstown connection because a young lady who grew up in Youngstown, her name is Stephanie Dabney. She was from, is from Youngstown, and she's a, a product of Western Reserve Ballet. Mm-hmm. And this was before I came to town. I would say she was here, she was dancing in the late 70s, 70s early 70s. 80s. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So the dance troupe came to town, as it said, and I guess they had a master class, and Stephanie danced, and they liked what they saw. Yes. And then invited her to come to New York in the early mid 80s. Mm-hmm. Now this story continues a little and this is nothing I'm telling out of school because it was an article in the New York Times about this which I was like, "Oh wow, that's Stephanie Dabney." Our new not new, but newly new principal dancer Misty Copeland, yes, who is has emerged now as the darling of the ballet black or white, mm-hmm. uh, Misty Copeland, she went to visit Stephanie Dabney in mm-hmm. her apartment in New York. Mm-hmm. And she, Stephanie is still alive. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, she contracted HIV AIDS mm-hmm. from one of the dance, one of her dance partners uh, during the height of the, when we lost so many artistic folks, people, yes. folks during that era, ballet dancers, artists, musicians, etc. 
Fortunately, as a result of good health care and medical care, she is still alive. Mm-hmm. Virginia Johnson even said that she said to tell Youngstown hello. Yes. Her dad was a physician, and they live right over in Liberty. Okay. In our neighborhood. Yeah. Yes. In fact, I looked at their house when I was moving to town, the, the house that they had lived in before they... And, and actually, mm-hmm. uh, sadly, her both parents died within like six months of each other. Okay. So it was very sad. But yeah, that was our Youngstown connection with the Dance Theater of Harlem. Yes. Uh, I just kept sitting there thinking, wow, you know, we live close to where... I said, we literally live within walking distance of mm-hmm. one of the great dance troops in the United States. So I know. it was great. Yes. Yeah, we have to do more of that. I know. That and was get fun, more young D. kids out. More young. Yeah, because the Lynx brought a, a number of kids out. I think yes. they brought like 30 kids. Yes. And I saw many that. of them, they were juniors and seniors, had never been to Powers Auditorium. Isn't that Much something? less seen a dance troupe. Isn't that something? Yeah. So that was, a, that was really doing a little good in the neighborhood. Oh, big time. Big yeah. time. So yeah. glad to hear that. Yeah. Yeah, glad to hear that. Yeah. Well, every time that we talk, we give a health tip. And this health tip, because we are talking about golf, why not talk about the health benefits of golf? This is written on, and and you can find this article on our website, Vicky Doe Fitness, written by Health Day News. And it says, time spent on the links may lengthen life. Grab your golf clubs. Spending a day on the green at least once a month may lower the risk of early death among older adults, a new study finds. About 25 million Americans play golf, which is a sport that can reduce stress and yield exercise benefits. Social in nature and played at a controlled pace, people often continue enjoying the sport into old age. Our study is perhaps the first of its kind to evaluate the long-term health benefits of golf, one of the most popular sports among older people in our countries. And this was said by the lead study author, Dr. Adnan Qureshi, because I know a Dr. You know a Qureshi? Qureshi. I know a Dr. Qureshi, yeah, in Pittsburgh that I used to work with. Yeah. Okay, but it's not mm-hmm. this it's one? It's not this one. Mm-mm. Okay, yeah, because this one is in Missouri. Uh-huh. Um, it's a professor of neurology at the University of Missouri in Columbia. The U.S. Department of Health and Human Services Physical Activity Guidelines for Americans does not yet include golf in the list of recommended physical activities, said Qureshi in an American Heart Association news release. Therefore, we are hopeful that our research findings could help to expand the options for adults to include golf. For the study, the researchers analyzed data from the cardiovascular health study, which had examined risk factors for heart disease and stroke in adults age 65 and older. Nearly 5,900 participants with an average age of 72 were studied. Out of all these patients, 384 were identified as golfers. Doing follow-up, 8% of golfers suffered strokes and nearly 10% had heart attacks. When comparing the death rates, golfers had a significantly lower rate of death, 15% compared to just under 25% of non-golfers. However, the study did not prove that golfing itself boosts longevity. Qureshi explained that while golfing and low 
intensity jogging may be comparable exercise. They lack the competitive excitement of golf. Regular exercise, exposure to a, a less populated environment and social interactions provided by golf are all positive for health, he said. Another positive is that older adults can continue, and this is what is cool, they can continue to play golf unlike some of the other strenuous um, sports such as football, boxing, and tennis. The findings are to be presented next week, so that means that, it, yeah, mm -hmm. they were presented this week. Coming up. Uh-huh, at the American Stroke Association's International Stroke Conference in L.A., such research is considered preliminary until published in a peer-reviewed medical journal. The researchers are performing more analysis to determine whether playing golf might counter the health benefits. And so, yes, kudos to golf because we had a person on here, Mindy Durr. Remember she was talking about therapeutic mm -hmm, golf mm -hmm. and how that they use golf to help folks that have suffered from, right. from stroke and, in the case of my dad, from brain injury and trauma. You know, nothing like going on the course and taking your time and just enjoying golf and for the social aspect of it exactly. as well. Exactly. So hopefully they'll find out that, um, yeah, we can include that. It's kind of interesting, though. I was sitting here thinking, mm -hmm. but golfers... They ride carts. <laughs> I mean, I'm not being negative, but mm. I just look, you know, mm. they well, don't look all that fit. <laughs> yeah. Is that a polite way to say it? Yes, but remember now, any any type of exercise is still adding up. That's so, true. All right. Yeah, That's true we'll, we'll, we'll give they them could a, be sitting at home eating bonbons. We'll, 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 give them, okay. we'll give them a pass. We'll give them a pass. Yes. All right. Yeah, and I always played a little bit because of my dad, you know, he sure. played big time. So golf, yeah, I think we should really check out golf and, and, and learn golf. I've been thinking about doing that myself. Yes. Getting some clubs and yes. dashing in there. And yes. Yeah. Well, D, what's the latest? So we've been inundated with the information on coronavirus. I think the last count, there have been 2,000 deaths. Mm -hmm. And many more people infected. The latest that the New England Journal, I mm -hmm. think it was the New England Journal, I can't, every, you know, I'm getting so many articles so fast, but mm -hmm. one of the articles that I read, interestingly enough, was the number of healthcare workers that are coming down with oh, coronavirus. Wow. As we all have seen on television, that first doctor that identified how seemingly how bad the coronavirus was. He got sick and sadly died last week mm. of coronavirus. He was in China? Yes. Okay. And, you know, the Chinese people, the Chinese official gave him a hard time and, mm -hmm. you know, made him sign something that, you know, he wasn't telling the truth, blah, 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 blah. But I kept saying, well, they're building a hospital for a thousand people and it's going to be up in three weeks. They must know something that we don't know. So there we go. Mm -hmm. So roll around. United States officials learned cruise ship evacuees were infected at the last minute. So they've now been trying to whisk Americans off of ships because there have been a lot of ships you know, where they've had these individuals who've been on there who've tested positive and they now have to be in quarantine. So 
Mm-hmm. Two articles here about this. United States officials learned cruise ship evacuees were infected at the last minute. A day before 328 Americans were to be whisked away from a contaminated cruise ship in Japan, U.S. Embassy in Tokyo told passengers that no one infected with the new coronavirus would be allowed to board charter flights to the U.S. But those plans were changed hastily after the test results for 14 passengers came back positive just as they were about ready to board. Can you imagine? I know. Wow. They were getting ready to board the buses and dispatch to the airport where two reconfigured cargo jets were waiting to fly them to military bases in California and Texas. After consultations with health experts, the United States government decided to let the infected evacuees who were not yet exhibiting symptoms board the flight. So these were asymptomatic carriers at that point. Okay. The reversal was the latest chaotic turn in the two-week quarantine of the ship, the Diamond Princess, that has become an epidemiological nightmare. So now the next article mm-hmm. talks about, again, the similar situation, but a little more in-depth. American passengers evacuated a cruise ship that had been quarantined for more than a week in the Japanese port city of Yokohama after hundreds of people fell ill with the coronavirus. I don't do ships. I know. I've never have either. I do not do cruises. I just don't do cruises. Mm-mm. I'd rather fly Before in. Before this, it was norovirus. Yes. Remember norovirus? I remember that. Had hundreds of people sickened. Yes. Mm-hmm. The Americans boarded the two chartered flights to the U.S. The flights departed Tokyo at 7 o'clock in the morning on Monday, according to an official from the United States Embassy in Japan. As the passengers prepared to leave the country, Japanese officials said the number of confirmed coronavirus cases found on the ship had grown by 70 to 355. Can you imagine? Oh, no. So Mm. can't get off here fast enough, said Sarah Arana, who's 52. She's a social worker from Paso Robles, California, she told reporters. The American embassy had recommended that its citizens stay aboard the ship for 14 days quarantine, but it suddenly changed course on Saturday, citing a rapidly evolving situation as conditions worsen. American passengers said they were told to prepare to leave the ship at 9 p.m. local time. Their flight was scheduled to depart Haneda Airport at 3 a.m. on Monday. Officials said they would be taken to one of the Air Force bases in the United States. I think Camp Pendleton was one. or No, Lachlan Air Force Base, I think, is one. I I don't remember the one in Texas. Okay. But the process taken deck by deck went slowly. Mm. It took several hours to load all... Pa- this sounds like the Titanic. Doesn't it? But the process taken mm. deck by deck went slowly. It took several hours to load all passengers on buses to take them to Haneda Airport in Tokyo. On one of the buses, Gay Quarter, 75, an American novelist mm. traveling with her husband, said the passengers were mostly silent. A doctor in a hazmat suit accompanied the group. Clearing my throat sounds like thunder, Miss Courier said in an email. All passengers were given N95 respirators. That's why we don't have any at our hospitals, because they've all gone over to China. Really? No N95s. No, ma'am. Oh, wow. A heavy-duty mask fitted to the face that filters 95% of the smaller air particles. So the little little mask that we're wearing now, Mm -hmm. they're okay, but they're not in any way protective of, no. Mm. Right. Some sections of her flight were segregated from others with those who had tested positive but were not yet showing symptoms, asymptomatic, sitting in a tented area of the plane. Passengers on the charters were told that they would, there would be no overhead luggage space, so all carry-ons had to fit under the seat. Ship luggage could not be over 70 pounds. The converted 747 cargo plane would be cold. 
So passengers were advised to shower and dress warmly. Mm. They were told to take their own food. This is a hot mess. It is. Rachel Torres, 24, who had been on a honeymoon with her husband, said they were trying to clean their stateroom so as to not leave a mess for their cabin steward. Okay. We didn't sleep much last night, said Miss Torres. In preparation for flying, she said the two were drinking as much water so they could stay hydrated. Including the cases aboard the Diamond Princess, Japan has recorded the highest number of infections from new coronaviruses outside mainland. Worldwide, 70,000-plus people have been infected, and 1,700 have died. That number's up now. When the ship was placed under quarantine, more than 3,700 passengers and crew aboard were on board, including about 400 Americans. Those found to have the virus and some particularly vulnerable passengers were taken off the ship. The State Department said in a statement on Monday that 14 passengers who had tested positive for the virus two or three days ago were not showing symptoms, had been allowed on one of the charter flights. Now, I'm going to move forward a little bit. Once, yeah, Here it is. Once in the United States, they were required to go to a two-week quarantine at Travis Air Force Base, like I said. I okay. see this. And Lachlan Air Force Base in San Antonio. Those who did not take charters will not be allowed to go to the United States until months after they would have been allowed to leave the ship. Some remain hesitant. Linda Sukamoto, 63, a retired retail manager from Marina Del Rey in California, said she had signed up for an evacuation flight, but she changed her mind. She stuck a post-it note on her door saying, I'm staying. Three military doctors came to her door and advised her to go. Their emphatic tone, she said, was scary, but she was standing her ground. I'd rather go home first class on the United Airlines than a cold, noisy, military charter when the Japanese Ministry of Health releases us. I refuse to be fearful but respect the United States government who's trying to be helpful in bringing us home. According to a letter from the Diamond Princess staff to passengers on Sunday who tested negative for the virus and showed no symptoms, they'll be allowed to leave on February the 19th today. Mm-hmm. The letter noted the passengers may be subject to additional quarantine once they get back to this country. After 11 days of being isolated in their windowless cabin, John and Carol Montgomery were finally preparing to board a bus to go home and fly next to a bunch of people for nine hours. It feels surreal, she said, with at least 55 Americans from the ship having tested positive for the coronavirus mm. during the quarantine period. Some were left behind in Japan. So moving forward, some they said there was a Mr. Herring. He said he was angry that the United States government had not acted earlier. Mm. Toon... P. Lai, 79, was whisked away from the ship Wednesday night with the fever, leaving his wife on the ship. Joanne LaRoche Lee, one of the daughters of Mr. Lee, said she and her siblings did not want her mother to stay in Japan with their father for fear she would not be allowed to come back if she didn't take the charter flight. As for the father, we're just trying to trust that the State Department will be able to facilitate my dad's return. This sounds like the immigration This sounds policy. terrible. Canada and Hong Kong also said they would charter flights for passengers on cruise ships. Philippines, the Australian government said it was sending an expert to Yokohama and would consider the best options for more than 200 of its citizens. So about 300 Hong Kong residents are on the ship, 260 Chinese citizens, and 70 foreigners. So, And I read today that a physician had snuck, well, he didn't sneak on board, but he came on board, mm-hmm. and he said it was <clears throat> unbelievable the chaos and confusion that was going on on these ships. See, they lead us to believe it was all calm and yes. cool and kumbaya. It was a hot mess, according to him. It was chaos. You know, a lot of people hadn't been, they felt, given the proper instructions. Mm-hmm. On some of those ships, they would have daily 
you know, keeping them up to date, briefings, okay, briefings daily okay. briefings about what was going on. But a lot of them also said, you know, in some situations they felt like they were left in the dark. Now, one of the new things that has happened today is that, uh-huh. you know, they're talking about testing positive and being asymptomatic. They have a case now where there was human-to-human transmission of the coronavirus from two asymptomatic people to another person, and he became infected. So apparently, even being asymptomatic, you still, still passing it on the virus. Right. Okay, so let me get this here, right here. So we're all in the ship. You breathe in the same air. Correct. I don't get why they why they waiting forever. To I don't I don't know that there are any negative pressure rooms on yeah. a ship because they're not expecting to take people with tuberculosis. So you're all breathing. The vents yes. and all of that are all circulating in cycle in all over those decks, and that's just my thing. Yeah, because I've I never was been like, on one of those big ships before, but my thing is, <sighs> that's what I envision. Yeah, so I couldn't, I couldn't believe that they were letting the folks just stay there and not letting them leave the ship yeah. because they breathe in all the air still. Yeah, 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 yeah. They're all breathing the same air. There's no negative pressure room that I know of that they've talked about on these ships. So everybody's mm. breathing. It's like being in an airplane. Yes. You know, they're all breathing the same air. They're all breathing recycled air. There's no negative pressure going out. So there, I won't be doing any ships. I won't be either. Mm-mm. And I certainly won't be going to China. Well, you know, and that's hurt. Or Japan. The, that's hurt, that's hurt the, 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 the economy tourism, big time. The economy. Yeah. That's hurt the Japanese. And, you know, is it being extrapolated to other countries in oh, Asia as well? Mm-hmm. You know, I saw on, um, last night somebody sent me a video of a physician who got up, was talking in Singapore. It was an excellent review of the virus, of what what we know now, because things change tomorrow. Mm -hmm. But even countries like Singapore, so Asia is kind of under, I mean, I don't see a lot of people. I have a friend now who's over in Vietnam and his girlfriend, but um, I don't see a whole groundswell of people running over to China and stuff. Because actually... You can barely get a flight over there. Oh, I know. Because then they close it. They close. A lot of the airlines mm-hmm. have shut down. I mm-hmm. haven't heard that they've reopened. Neither. I can't imagine that they would right now until they see a, a downswing in the number of cases. Oh, wow. So there it is. I know. Well, thank you. You got to keep us informed on all that. I will. It's getting kind of scary. It's now. getting very scary. Hi, everyone. This is Dr. Vicki Haywood Doe. I just wanted to break in for a quick second and introduce to you the sponsor and creator of this show. It's the company I own, Haywood Doe Consulting Co., doing business as Vicky Doe Fitness. We are a health and wellness consulting company that specializes in designing and implementing medically integrated applied exercise physiology-based fitness wellness programs initiatives, events, health promotion, and health education for special populations such as older folks, children, adolescents, overweight and obese individuals, cardiac rehab, women's health, and those who have chronic diseases. We have a team and network of healthcare professionals based out of Northeast Ohio, And we've worked with many companies, schools, churches, and organizations. If your goal is to transform your life by taking a holistic approach to living a life of health and total well-being, get in touch with us at info 
at vickidofitness.com. To find out more about our own site and online programs and services, go to vickidofitness.com. And now back to the show. Today, we talk about research articles and <coughs> hot topics that we think are worth looking at and talking about. And our topic today is what's new, hot topics number 54. Our first article is talking about combining aerobics and weights tied to optimal weight control. And this is written in the New York Times, and it says activities like walking and lifting weights were both tied to a healthier weight, but combining the two may have the most benefits. So to stave off obesity, we might want to both stride and lift, according to an important large-scale new study of how different types of exercise affect the incidence of obesity in America. The study, which involved health records of almost 1.7 million men and women, indicates that people who exercise in almost any way are less likely to be obese than those who are sedentary. But the study also finds that the odds of being normal weight are greatest for those who complete both aerobic exercise and weight training, at least occasionally. Obesity is one of the world's most pressing health concerns. My colleague Jane Brody wrote recently about a new study showing that within a decade, half of all Americans may be obese. Those soaring obesity weights are worrying in large part since the condition is linked to a range of other serious health concerns, including type 2 diabetes, heart disease, arthritis, dementia, and premature death. Despite obesity's prevalence and morbidity, though its causes remain poorly understood, we know that nutrition and energy imbalance play outside roles. But exercise and inactivity are involved as well, although their contributions are muddled. Exercise does not seem, for instance, to be very effective at helping most overweight people to drop pounds, um, probably because exercise tends to make people hungry. More helpfully, exercise does seem to help many people avoid packing on pounds in the first place. In some past studies, adults who frequently walked or completed other physical activities were less prone to becoming obese during middle age than people who were sedentary. But most of those studies involve relatively small groups of people or specific populations such as female nurses or older men. In many of those studies, only relatively large amounts of exercise, such as an hour or more a day of walking, were tied to maintaining a healthy weight. And almost none examined the potential role of weight training in obesity prevention, leaving many questions unexplored about just how much and what kinds of exercise might correlate with the likelihood of obesity. So for the new study, which was published this month in Obesity, the researchers in Australia decided to compare exercise habits and obesity numbers in an enormous group of American adults. The researchers found that subjects among the participants in the annual behavior risk factor surveillance system, a 
telephone survey about the health and lives of millions of Americans overseen by the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. The Australian researchers focus now on data from recent studies that included answers from men and women about their height, their weight, and general exercise habits, including whether they had exercised in any way during the past month, and if so, what types and amounts of exercise they had completed. Now, the researchers gathered the answers from a million six hundred and seventy-seven one and 108 of the survey participants, and they started categorizing them first as either normal weight or obese, according to their body mass index, and then by their exercise habits. The researchers noted whether or not the men and women reported having completed at least 150 minutes a week of aerobic activities, such as walking or jogging during the past month, meaning that they had met the standard health recommendation for exercise. They also recorded whether they had reported having done any resistance exercise, which would include not just weight training, but activities like yoga and calisthenics at least twice a week. They wound up with participants who either were or were not obese and separately were sedentary or active, completing aerobic exercise, weight training, or both types of exercise on a regular basis. Then they compared exercise habits and obesity and noted an interesting pattern. The incidence of obesity, especially extreme obesity, was more lower among active people than sedentary, whether their activity was aerobic or resistance oriented. But those men and women who reported completing both types of exercise, who jogged and lifted or walked and downward dogged, for instance, were about 50% less likely to be obese than inactive people and about 20% less likely than people who participated in aerobic exercise or weight training alone. Now, according to Jason Benny, a senior research fellow in physical activity epidemiology at the University of Southern Queensland, who led this new study, he said, in other words, it appears that doing either aerobic or muscle strengthening exercise is good for a healthy weight, but doing both is better. Now, this study relied on participants' remembrance <laughs> of exercise, though which can be unreliable, and ask about them at only one point in people's lives. It cannot show whether exercising now necessarily thwarts um, obesity in the future. It also cannot establish whether in some cases being obese prevented people from being active, and that's important too. Perhaps the most important thing is that it does not tell us how augmenting walks or other aerobic activities with weight training might help us to avoid obesity. Now, Dr. Benny and his colleagues speculate that aerobic and resistant exercise produce differing effects on our metabolisms, our hormones, our appetites, and even the structure of our brains that um, synergistically 
remodel our bodies and minds in ways that reduce the likelihood that we will regain weight. And yes, of course, more study is needed. But in the meantime, those of us hoping to keep our weight under control might want to consider doing some aerobics, some cycling, some walking, and then picking up some weights. And we've we've talked about that. Yes, that's right up your alley. We've talked about um, that plenty many of times. times. And yes. you know, Alexis, we always say that in order to lose weight, yes, you want to do aerobic exercise, but you want to strength train to maintain your muscle mass. Of course, you know, mm -hmm. some is some is enough, but more is also better when it comes to physical activity. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the more you do, the more benefits you are going to get out of that. Mm -hmm. And one thing, like, I feel like a lot of people get scared when you hear, like, exercise or something. But as long as you get out, like, mowing the lawn, like, shoveling the snow, anything helps. Anything is good for you, mm -hmm. and it will be beneficial for sure. And, yes, when it comes to muscle mass, you know, I was telling you, D. I was like, shoot, I gotta, I gotta start doing some weight training seriously instead of Me just too. maintaining Me because too. we lose our lean muscle mass too over time as we age as well. Mm -hmm. So I always encourage everyone to, yeah, go on and do some resistance training. Even just a little bit, a along, little bit, right. along with your aerobic exercise. Because I have moved my weights now from the basement to the side of the bed. <laughs> Next step is to pick them up. Right, right. <laughs> All I've done right now is stub my toe on them when I get out of bed. Yes, uh, you got to do and a little bit more than talk, that. After this talk, after your talk, I'm I'm motivated now. I'm going to start doing it tomorrow. Yes. I, have, I, I moved them next to the bed, mm -hmm. and I'm going to start, uh, you know, there's some all these million channels on television. There are these exercise channels. Mm -hmm. You don't have to go and buy these expensive, you know, they got these expensive things that you put up on the wall and you can yes. simulate. All, well, you don't need all of that. No, you just need a, you just a, need, a you few know. dumbbells, yeah. body weight. You can get on the floor yeah, and do some, exactly. some planks. And I have a ball, you know. Mm -hmm. And the sad thing yesterday, I said, you know, now this is pitiful. I put some clothes on the ball. I said, no, that, okay, we no, got to no, change no, no. this. <laughs> <laughs> we got to change things around Now, here. she's talking all that, but she trains for the triathlon and we, things oh, that's like that. I, did. I, I didn't, I didn't uh -huh. forgot to say we did finish our Okay, triathlon. so how was that? So it was really good. It was my two classmates from medical school, class of 74, so you can do the math. <laughs> um, <laughs> but my friend, Dr. Jim Lieberman, he did swimming. He did 30 laps in okay. 20 minutes. Yes. My friend, Dr. Howard Nearman, who's an anesthesiologist, critical care, he did almost almost three miles in, he did two, about two and a half miles in 20 minutes. Okay. And I did nine miles mm -hmm. in 20 minutes. Oh, wow. On the stationary bike. That's good. Wow. With, a, with increased resistance okay, on the yes. bike. So we were pretty pleased with our progress. You know, we were up against a lot of, you know, we, we went as a team as opposed to individual. And we were pretty pleased with that because this is our first time doing it together. I've always done it by myself. But it was another one of those things got me into the gym to train on the bike, mm -hmm. which is a whole other training system. Yes. So it, it's motivated me to continue. But, you know, as Vicki will tell you, I've, I've, I try to do something. Yes. Like you said, what was the first thing you said? Something is better than some. I'm paraphrasing. What did you say? Something is better something than nothing. Something is better than nothing in a right. sense, you know? Yes, yes. Yeah. That's it. That's it. Yeah. 
our next article, I know you're going to talk about this. Oh, it yes. is Half of Us Face Obesity Dire Projections you know, Show. Oh, my just, goodness. You know, we it's just, it's obesity. sad. So Half of Us Face Obesity, this is a New York Times article that just came out. By 2030, nearly one in two adults will be obese, and nearly one in four will be severely obese. Mm. Climate change is not the only source of dire projections for the coming decade, perhaps just as terrifying from both a health and economic perspective is a predicted continued rise in obesity, including severe obesity in American adults. Now, this is just about the United States. A prestigious team of scientists has projected that by 2030, nearly one in two adults will be obese and nearly one in four will be severely obese. The estimates are thought to be particularly reliable as the team corrected for current underestimates of weight given by individuals in national surveys. In as many as 29 states, the prevalence of obesity will exceed 50%, with no state having less than 35% of residents who are obese. That's sad. That is. Likewise, the team projected in 25 states, the prevalence of severe obesity will be higher than one adult in four, and severe obesity will become the most common weight category among women, non-Hispanic, black, adults, and low-income adults nationally. Mm. Given the role obesity plays in fostering many chronic, disabling, and often fatal diseases, these are dire predictions indeed. Yet, as with climate change, the powers that be in this country are doing very little to head off the potentially disastrous. We talk about this all the time of mm -hmm. obesity because who's benefiting? Who's benefiting? It's not saying that in this article, but we always say who's yes, benefiting. Yes, who's benefiting, right? So well-intentioned efforts like limiting access to huge portions of sugar-sweetened soda, the scientists noted, are effectively thwarted by well-heeled industries able to dwarf the impact of educational efforts by health departments that have minuscule budgets by comparison. So the health department up against these big conglomerates. Yes. Conglomerates. Like Coca-Cola Coca and all those. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. With rare exceptions, the sugar and beverage industries have blocked nearly every attempt to add an excise tax to sugar-sweetened beverages. Claims that such a tax is regressive and unfairly targets low-income people is short-sighted, according to Zachary Ward, who's a public health specialist at Harvard and the lead author of the new report published in the New England Journal of Medicine in December. Mm -hmm. What people would save in health care costs would dwarf the extra money paid as taxes on sugar-sweetened beverages, he said. Yet in a city like Philadelphia, where a soda tax of 1.5 cents an ounce took effect three years ago, total purchases declined by 38%, even after accounting for beverages people bought outside the city, his co-author Sarah Blight said. However, she quickly added, piecemeal changes like this are not enough to make a significant difference in the obesity forecast. Rather, nationwide changes are needed in the ubiquitous food environment that has fostered a steady climb toward a weight and health disaster. As the new report demonstrated, Americans weren't always this fat since 1990, the prevalence of obesity has doubled. Mm -hmm. People who choose to blame genetics, like you've heard that, yes, it's in time. my genes, yes, yes, are yes. fooling no one but themselves. Uh -huh. Our genetics haven't changed in the last 30 years. Rather, what has changed environment. is the environment mm -hmm. in which our genes now function. So food is cheap in the United States and super easy to access, said Dr. Bleich. We eat more, consume more foods that are high in fat, sugar, and salt, and our portion sizes are bigger. We talk about that all the time, Vicki, yes. right? Portion size. High right? and deep. High and deep, right? With Mr. <laughs> with Mr. Ward noted, you don't even have to leave home to eat restaurant-prepared food. Just call and it will be delivered. If you have a smartphone, Uber Eats, all these apps. Yes. 
dash something dash door dash yeah grub you know, door, grub, grub hub, hub. <laughs> <laughs> amazon, amazon amazon prime, prime. Yeah, and it's the hour one too. Yeah, Amazon, yeah, be within yeah. two hours or. An and hour. I've learned that from young people. <laughs> <laughs> we'll bring fast food to your door in minutes. As a society, we also snack more—a habit mm. that starts as soon as toddlers can feed themselves. My dog knows all too well that bottoms and strollers are rich. Ooh, rich source of snacks. Now that's deep. I know. People are snacking throughout the day. Snacking is a normal thing to do in the United States and France. You never see anyone eating on a bus. We eat more processed foods, which have been shown to foster weight gain, thanks to the unusually high levels of calories, sugar, and fat. A recent study showed that even when controlling for weight, consuming lots of processed food raises the risk of type 2 diabetes. It doesn't take many extra calories to result in weight gain. Through marketing, we're constantly being sold on foods we didn't even know we wanted. We're all about immediate rewards. We're not thinking about the future, which is why we're going to see more than half the population obese in 10 years. Unless something is done to reverse this trend, obesity will be the new normal. Mm. We're living in an obesogenic environment. Mm -hmm. While there's no one thing to throw at the problem, said Dr. Blatch, if I could wave a magic wand, I'd make a tax on beverages a federal mandate because they're the largest source of added sugar in the diet and are strongly linked to weight gain and health problems. When people drink their calories, they don't feel as full as when they consume solid food, so they end up eating more. Mm -hmm. This may be true for calorie-free sweet drinks, although the jury is still out on cause and effect. The link between beverage consumption and greater intake of calories may also apply to drinks favored with no-calorie or low-calorie sweetness. With a third of meals now being eaten out, Dr. Blight suggested that prompting restaurants to gradually, surreptitiously, surreptitiously reduce the amount of fat, sugar, and calories in the meals they serve could help put the brakes on societal weight gain. Menus could help healthier, low-calorie meals, the default option. Controlling portion sizes is another critical, important step. Big portions are especially motivating for love. And we just keep seeing bigger burgers, bigger this, pile high, and deep. <laughs> so big portions are especially motivating for low-income people who reasonably want to get more calorie dollar. Low-income groups are risk of obesity, and the new projections show they are the groups most likely to experience a rising prevalence of obesity and severe obesity. Another policy-based approach that could reverse rising obesity projections might be to partner with climate control advocates. If we pull more meat out of the diet, American diet, it would help both the environment and weight loss. Well, now you're going to have the cattle industry like Oprah found against you. I'd be I careful about that one. Right? That's, that's, that's deep. That is deep. That's, 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 that's pretty meat. drastic. That's drastic. Yeah. Yeah, that's meat. Oprah found out when she tried to go up against. That's when Dr. Phil came on the scene. Yeah, because they sued her. Yeah, they sued time. her big time. Mm -hmm. From a policy perspective. Mr. Ward said, prevention is the way to go. Children aren't born obese, but we can already see excessive weight gain as early as two. Changes in the food environment are needed, local, state, and federal. It's hard for individuals to volunteer change their behavior. He said, health-promoting changes in the food packages provided to low-income women, infants, and children since 2009 have helped to reverse or stabilize obesity in the preschool children who receive them. Evaluations are currently underway to assess the impact of healthier school meals. Yeah, so what do you think about that? We got well, all this obesity. I know the predictions are dire, but, I you know, know I, I keep saying go to the mall and sit in the mall mm -hmm. and see how many obese children you see. I know. 
It's almost like one out of five. It is. And it starts there. It does start there. You know, and these children don't buy their own food. I know. And so that's why when we do any type of um, cooking or health or nutrition Mm -hmm. or whatever with the children, I always suggest, oh, we got to get the parents. You have to get the parents involved. And, you know, we've gone from a society of sitting out. Everybody's so busy on their own axes. We've gone from a a culture of sitting down at the table, eating Mm. healthy meals to going to fast food, grabbing this, grabbing that, mother's work and dad's work and kids at school, got all these activities after school, come home, try to do homework. So there's very little time to sit around the table and try to, you know, but you can plan these things. Yes. And you can plan. There's still no excuse. There's no excuse. You can still plan to mm-hmm. have healthy you have to plan because once you, it's kind of like they tell you don't go in the grocery store hungry. Mm-hmm. So you plan ahead, you know, maybe have a, some celery and hummus or something before you go in or, mm-hmm. you know, you have to plan these kinds of, of things. And I think like for children, mm-hmm. rather than going to fast food, some, instead have at home, maybe on Sunday, prepare little packets of snacks. Right. That the kids can eat before yep. you prepare dinner. Power packs. Power packs, yes. right. And then from the adult standpoint, mm-hmm. do your menus in the first of the week to try to plan what you're going to make and have the foods, you know, which speaks to your sun product mm-hmm. for the sun for basket, the sun basket mm-hmm. for, for healthy uh, meals. So, you mm-hmm. know, g- get your own recipes that are healthy. So there's really no excuse. It's kind of like that thing that they said in there. If you're using genetics as an excuse, you're fooling no. yourself. No. Or the people that come on and say, I'm big bone. No, yeah, you're not. Or, um, I'm curvilicious and, you just eat and too bootylicious. Much. You just eat too much. Yeah. You could be bootylicious you without know, being and I'm overweight. Not, and I'm not fat shaming Lizzo. I mean, I know we've talked about her on the show, yes. but you know, yesterday I I thought it was kind of like it was another one of those mocking. Okay. She went to an event and not not mocking Lizzo or anything. Everybody has their own, but she went dressed as a candy bar oh, with wow. the calorie things on, on the, the candy t- bar, oh. which was kind of to me sort of like mocking in yes. the face of, well, I'm going to dress like a can a chocolate candy bar, and I'm eating and my I'm stuff. Gonna, right. I know. It just kind of sent a like my son Marky said mm. what message and he's a millennial what message does this send and it's unfortunate because yeah because we know, we know mm-hmm. that eventually yeah. she and everybody else at that size will hit the wall of diabetes and high blood pressure mm-hmm. because even if you have those habits if you have those habits of eating high sugar processed food right. and high salt and all that, guess what? You're going to eventually have to deal with type Hit 2 diabetes. Wall. Type 2 diabetes, hypertension, and renal all of that. disease, yes. and all of that. Yes. So I just, you know, I just, I saw that on the television this morning and I said, you know, I think, mm-hmm. I know that's her brand, but at some point in time, that brand may have to change if she starts getting health problems. And a lot, you know, a lot of these movie stars have gone on weight loss. I mean, oh, like, big time. Because the backstory is they didn't just do it because they wanted to look better. I mean, that was part of it too. No, it's but their the doctor... brand, their brand was being overweight. But when the doctor says, uh, "Excuse me, excuse me," yes. but you're headed for dialysis, or you have type two diabetes, or your blood pressure is high, and you're only forty years old, that's a game changer. That's a game changer. You're right. That's a game changer. Yes, and then so, they they pay all these people, and the next thing you know, 
they they've lost weight, and then they do say they feel much better. They they're do. On a, they're on a healthier. Because yes. think about it. You know, you don't want to. Another reason why you don't want to. You want to do these healthy habits because you don't want to walk around feeling bad. No, you don't. And, and, and you know, it's just I remember when I was taking physics, your body is not made. These, the joints that you have are not made to carry the kind of weight that people are putting on these joints. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Hips and knees. Yeah, and we didn't even talk about that. We know that has and increased ankles. over years. You know, so you got increase in arthritis, increase in, in total joint and replacements. And then hip replacements and all, all that. All total joint replacements and all of that. Mm-hmm. And even in the hospital, there are bigger wheelchairs now. Mm-hmm. Bigger beds. Mm-hmm. Bigger everything. That's bigger well. blood pressure cuffs. Yes. So... You know, we're changing our society to fit the obese person when it should be the obese person should try to get back into mm-hmm. the norm. But we do have but a lot of things that go against us. You know, like we said, the environment, yes. the ever readiness of yep. food yep. and high calorie stuff. And now you don't even have to go grocery shopping. Mm-mm. You can call all these apps and get your food delivered no That's matter it. what you want. Some fries covered in you know, whatever sauce you want or fries and whatever. Mm-hmm. You can get all this stuff now. So we have to encourage all of you guys. Look, you got to make a commitment. You do. Because you can control that. You have to want to. So, you do. So we are saying, look, do what you can because we don't want you to have to deal with any of these health complications. Health-related, the, the collateral damage, as we call from being yes. overweight and obese. Yes. Collateral yes. damage. So our next article and our last article, D. I know. I mean, I was surprised. <laughs> Benadryl, and I old know. friend. So Benadryl, diphenylhydramine, was introduced in 1946, the top single that year. Now, many of you all don't even know who this guy is. Perry Como. Okay. He came out with the song, Prisoner of Love. Uh-huh. It's aged well. Back in 1946, medicines like Benadryl didn't have to pass the stringent safety and efficacy standards now required. Mm. And there's zero chance today it would have been approved for over-the-counter sale, even if it made it as a prescription medication. It would be plastered with warning labels. Now, there are still niches using Benadryl. It's the only commonly available antihistamine that can be used IM or IV. It's useful for extrapyramidal reactions and maybe motion sickness and as a sedative. Though honestly, there are better choices. This is an article that I'm reading. Goodbye Benadryl by Dr. Roy Benarouche. It's from MedPage today. MedPage today. So what I'm talking about here is by far the most common use of Benadryl as an antihistamine to treat allergic symptoms. For this use, it's a poor choice. Benadryl causes significant sedation. We all know that. One study in a driving simulator showed an ordinary adult dose of Benadryl caused worse driving than a blood alcohol level of 0.1%. That's between buzzed, drunk, and frat party drunk. Ordinary doses of Benadryl (laughs) can also cause urinary retention, dizziness, trouble with coordination, dry mouth, blurry vision, and constipation, especially in older adults. Benadryl diphenhydramine, diphenhydramine can cause delirium and contribute to long-term dementia. In an overdose, Benadryl becomes very dangerous. 
It has caused respiratory depression, coma, heart arrhythmias, and death in children and adults. This is not safe stuff to have in the house with an exploring toddler, a teenager who might help themselves to whatever's in the medicine cabinet, or anyone who's already juggling a handful of pills. Combining Benadryl plus any other anticholinergic is asking for trouble. And here we're talking a lot of common medicines, including many that treat common conditions like overactive bladder, COPD, and irritable bowel syndrome. Newer alternatives are much safer. In the 1980s, newer generation antihistamines were induced. At first, they required a prescription and were crazy expensive. Now the best of them is cheap, generic, and available over-the-counter. These medicines were developed to address the serious safety concerns of Benadryl and older antihistamines. They don't cross the blood-brain barrier. They cause minimal sedation, and that's the main feature. It's, you it's can been, drive with them. They don't cause sedation. Right, right. And don't cause nearly as many of the other side effects. And bonus, they're not very dangerous, even in massive overdoses. A recent review quoted that there has never been a death, even in instances of up to 30 times the recommended dosing. So in a serious allergic reaction, we want a treatment that's quick and effective. Now, we do know this. Right. Keep in mind that in the case of anaphylaxis, the most serious allergic reaction, antihistamines are not the correct first-line treatment. you got to have epinephrine, Big time. which is a loss, which in experiencing an anaphylactic reaction, which includes a loss of consciousness, trouble breathing, widespread highs, and flushing, should immediately and without hesitation be given, a person should be given epinephrine by injection. Epinephrine should never be delayed while looking for preparing an antihistamine. Antihistamines do not save lives. Epinephrine does. Keep your eye on the ball. But for more mild allergic reactions like hives, simple hives, an antihistamine is a good idea. And some docs still prefer Benadryl since it's been around forever. Mm -hmm. But the newer drugs are much more effective. They begin working more quickly. They are more effective at controlling symptoms, and they last much longer. So symptoms are less likely to return. And since side effects are minimal, doctors can safely prescribe regimens even up to four times the labeled doses of specific indications. This has been studied extensively. For routine use, follow the labeled instruction. Talk to your doctor if that's not working or if you think a higher dose is needed. Benadryl and its generics, diphenhydramine, and, uh, and many combo meds are very popular sellers, and many docs and nurses still recommend it for allergies. I suspect this is just a habit and inertia. Benadryl is no longer recommended as a first-line treatment for any allergic condition, including allergic rhinitis or urticaria, which is another name for hives. Okay. By a recent U.S. or international guideline, it's not 1946. The time has come to retire Benadryl. And this is from Dr. Roy Benarouche, MD. He's a pediatrician who blogs at the Pediatric Insider. He is author of A Guide to Getting the Best Health Care for Your Child and the creator of the Great Courses Medical School for Everyone Grand Rounds Cases. Okay, so my thing is, okay, so if we don't have Benadryl in our pocketbook, as I have um, some in my pocketbook. Me too. What do we use? Zyrtec and Allegra. I always Zyrtec have Allegra. Or Allegra, right? Mm -hmm. Those are the two new kids, newer kids on the block. Yeah. But you know, I found, and this is just anecdotal. I had a patient that had something that I was using an antihistamine for, and I found that Zyrtec just didn't work. It wasn't strong enough, I know. and it didn't work until Benadryl. Until I gave that person Benadryl, I'm sorry. I know. But until I gave that person Benadryl, it helped, right? It significantly helped the situation. Zyrtec and those other drugs just wasn't. I never do. doing it. Uh, I do Allegra. 
Because mm-hmm. that, that pretty much works for the sinus stuff, too. Mm-hmm. But I always have Benadryl. Yeah. I'm, I'm kind of nervous to not have Benadryl. I am, too. You know, I, I carry both of them. I carry the Benadryl. And I, because there have been times that I mean, I'm not allergic to, to shellfish. However, there are times when I eat shrimp and I'll get a little circumoral, you know, and right, always itching and, itching and stuff. So I always have the Zyrtec or Benadryl with me. But I just find that Benadryl does the job. It gets it done. Mm-hmm. And I don't know whether the blood levels are higher when you take it than the Zyrtec. I'm, I'm just saying from anecdotal experience, Zyrtec and the uh, Allegra. And I have, I'm not that familiar with Allegra. I know it's similar. But for me, it just doesn't cut it. I know. Because when, when my kids both had incidents mm-hmm. and we would take them to the hospital, mm-hmm. they put that Benadryl IV up in there. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. And it can be given IV. That's the other beauty of it. It's effective, and it you can't give. I don't know that Zyrtec is IV. It may be, but I know Benadryl can be given, and it can happen. And bam. Benadryl goes in effectively. It's another one of those things that we give in the hospital. We don't have to give Epi. We'll give IV Benadryl. Yeah. Now he is a pediatric um, he person, is. so right. maybe it's because we, we'll have right. these moms giving all this stuff to the little babies. Yeah. Yeah. And there have been cases now, and of course the new thing, which mm-hmm. at some point in time, once I get a little bit more well-versed on it, is I was reviewing an article the other day f- to get some more CMEs. It's called Pharmacogenomics. Okay. And what that is, is especially in children, mm-hmm. they're studying the genomes of children who take certain medications that some may be metabolized different in children, which is why sometimes, let's say for anesthesia, you have these kids that are mysteriously dying because they're using the standard dose of a drug for a kid who probably should be getting a lot less because of their genome. And so that's what they're now studying in adults and children, that just like cancer chemotherapy, where it's not going to be cookie cutter, most drugs now are going to be looked at from your genome, that me and you have a different genome. You, you're, you're not going to tolerate a certain drug that I can take, even though we're same, close in age, whatever, what have you. You know what I'm saying? We I already agree. know that from, it's not new. We know from TB medications that mm-hmm. some people metabolize INH, some groups like Asians, mm-hmm. Asian um, individuals and black individuals t- uh, metabolize INH differently. It's going to be extrapolated now to a lot of different drugs, which opens up a whole new field, like, mm-hmm. you know, taking a high blood pressure medication. Yeah. Be that that blood pressure medicine is not good for you, even though the guidelines show everybody can use this mm-hmm, mm-hmm. your genome is different from my genome mm-hmm. so i might have to use a, sl- a lower dose or a higher dose on you you see how how this is going to be all so different now mm-hmm. i think so, so that's the that's the field of pharmacogenomics no, yeah so i was asking my daughter mary banks about it that's what's happening mary's in cardio oncology she deals with the effects of oncology drugs on the heart Oh, so, yeah, you yeah. know, all these drugs, you just can't be giving no. drugs willy-nilly anymore. And, well, and all of them always have had side effects. Yes. People just don't talk about no. them. But, yeah, that's why it's important. And I always tell people it's important. Yeah, it's important to exercise and, and eat how you're supposed to so that you won't have to have high dosage of these exactly. medicines that right. have side effects. They have side effects, right. Exactly. Mm-hmm. That's it. Right. Period. Right. 
Well, D, you know, we've had a good talk. This we is have. The, this has been great. Yes, the end this of our show. Great. So what kind of tips do you well, have? I think I still go back to the combination of aerobics and weight training, mm-hmm. period. Mm-hmm. Aerobics and weight training. That's it. One is good. The other one is good. But in combination, they're better. They're better. The combo effect, right? Yeah, yeah, yes. Right. And it can definitely, it's definitely good to use that to lose weight because one of the key things, the the physiological thing is that when you lose weight, you're losing fat mass and lean muscle mass. Right. So you don't want to do that. No, right. And so you want just to lose the fat mass. And so that's why you do agent type of um, resistance training with your aerobic exercise Uh so that you can keep and you can build your lean muscle mass. Exactly. So there it is. There it are. You got to be healthy. Got to be healthy. (laughs) And as always, for more information, go to our website, www.vickidofitness.com. And remember, if you have any questions, comments, or just something to say, tweet us, email us, go on Facebook and share with us your thoughts. You've been listening to It's All About Health and Fitness with Dr. Vicki Hayward-Doe and Dr. Virginia Banks-Bright. Vicki Doe is owner of Vicki Doe Fitness, a multimedia health and wellness forum, a place to discuss, learn, and participate in healthy living. You can get in touch with Vicki by email at info at vickidofitness.com.